Uh, can we go ahead and have that first picture up on here? Uh, anybody familiar with this picture? Does anybody know anything about this? This is a painting done uh, by an artist by the name of Tom Dubois. He's not real well known, uh, but he is wi- real well known in my family. Uh, because of uh, this set of paintings, this is one of uh, four paintings that all revolve around Noah uh, and and the uh, the ark and the bringing on of the animals. Uh, this one is called the commission, and it's kind of hard to see. But if you notice in the background, you see kind of the the skeleton of the ark uh, uh, being built. Uh, this is one of four of them. Uh, that it's it's a beautiful picture. Uh, he also is going to have one uh, that's called the invitation. That's when the animals are being brought onto the ark. Then there's the the third one, which is the promise, and this is the 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 rainbow uh, that that God displays. And then the the fourth one is the celebration, uh, and that is that is being off the ark. <laughs> Uh, certainly something to celebrate. I love these pictures. If, if I ever collect art, which I don't think I ever will, but if I ever collect art, Tom Dubois and these four are going to be the ones that I really want. They're beautiful. I love them. Uh, but there's another picture that I enjoy even more. And let's look at this one. It is beautiful. In fact, I I will argue that I like this picture a whole lot more than the four pictures that I just talked about from Tom Dubois. In fact, this picture is so special to me that I have an original one of a kind. Now, it's not numbered, it's not signed, and it's not framed, and I... I did put a tack hole in it, so it's probably lost some of its value in the art world. But this is a picture of it. It didn't scan quite the same, but I want to make sure everybody gets a good look at this. This is my favorite picture. Okay, so it doesn't have quite the same colors. It doesn't seem to make as good uh, sense. It's more abstract than what Tom Dubois draws. But this one, Avery, this is one of my favorites. Do you want to know why this is my favorite? Because I know the one who created this. And because I know the one who created this, I love this drawing. This is the drawing that hangs up in my office. The ones of Tom Dubois, I don't have any of them. This is the most important. I love this because I know who created it. And because I know when they created it, it meant something special to that person. And so it means a lot to me. She's not in here right now. I mean, you you probably could ask for an autograph later on, although she probably wouldn't be able to spell it. She's starting kindergarten today. But my own Gracie Jo Crumb may never be a famous artist, but this means something special to me. There are some people in this room that are very special. Where I saw her earlier, I know where she sits, but I've lost her. Where is Sherry Jo? There you are, Sherry Jo. Sherry Jo has an amazing ministry. Now, I don't know if 
if you have been through losing a loved one, but it can be just uh, almost suffocating. And Sherry Jo has an important ministry, not just to this church, but to the whole community. People come in, and, and she does not treat them like numbers. She treats them like people who are hurting. And I appreciate that about you, Sherry Jo, but that's not why I love you. I don't love you because you do nice things for the community. I love you. Because I know your creator. And I know that when he made you, he looked at you. And he knit you together. And he loves you. And because of that, I love you. Some people seem a little easier to love than others. Sandra Cowan does a lot of work for this church. She does a lot of things with the little kids and have them run around. When we do our fall fest, she puts countless hours into making sure that that gets done. The last time we had the fall fest, we've worked out a deal uh, with the, uh, the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church. We're kind of doing a little rotation. The last time we did it, we did it over there. We had a little tunnel that we went through. And we got to crawl through the tunnel and they got to learn these Bible stories. It was awesome. It wasn't just about candy. I walked away from that just being totally amazed. And I am so grateful, Sandra, that you spent so much time making sure that got done. But that's not why I love you. I love you because I know your creator. And I know that when God knit you, he loved you. And that's why I love you. Where's my good friend Brett? He's back over here. I got him on the front row. Brett and I have a lot of things in common. We're both in our 40s. We both have three children. They're all about the same age. We both live in Hobbs. We both love sports. We both love to eat food. We spend a lot of time together. Like demographically speaking, we have a whole lot in common. We've played tennis together. We've, we've gone out and kicked the soccer ball together. We've done uh, work projects together. Uh, I've hung out in his um, metalworking shop. He's been over to my, my woodworking shop. We have like a lot of things in common, right? But that's not why I love you just because we have things in common. Why do I love Brett Blackman? Because I know your creator. And I know that was, God was intentional when he made you, Brett Blackman. And he looked at you and he said, I love what I have made. And that's why I love Brett Blackman. Winnie Dean, you have been a legacy and created a legacy for this church. Winnie and I have conversations. And they're not boring conversations either. Because Winnie only knows one way to talk. And that is with passion. And she talks about faithfulness. And trust and obedience. And I love that about you. But that's not why I love you. I appreciate and enjoy those times we can talk. 
and have those conversations. But that's not why I love you. I love you. Because I know your creator. And I know that just a few years ago when he made you, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And it wasn't an accident. He knew exactly how he was going to do it. Somebody once said, when you knit, you don't just start with, the, you know, with the, the needles and you start going. You have a plan. You know what you're going to do when you start it. Whether it's going to be a sock or a scarf or a beanie or whatever it is, a quilt. You know what you're going to do. God knew what he was doing when he knit Winnie Dean. And I love you. Not because of the great conversations we have and how you impassion me. I love you because I know your Creator and I know that your Creator loves you. Sometimes we decide who we're going to love and why we're going to love them. And that's called conditional love. Like, I'm going to love you because you help other people. Or I'm going to love you because you do something nice for the church. Or I'm going to love you because we look the same and have something in common. Or I love you because we have these great conversations. That's not real love. Because we're living in a time right now where people are talking about what love is and what hate is. And they're saying love is only happens when you think the way that I do, or you vote the way that I do, or you look the way that I do, or you talk the way that I do, or you live in the same places that I do, that I live. And so we've decided what love is. And we've decided if you don't look like me, or you don't talk like me, or you don't do the things that I like, that I can't love you, that I don't have to love you, that I'm going to hate you. And that's wrong. And that's not the God that we serve. There's a mass of people walking around in New York. And I don't know them. And I'm pretty sure we don't talk the same. We don't vote the same. We don't cheer for the same people. uh, Cheer for the same teams. But guess what? I know their creator. And I know that their creator knit them together. And he loves them. And the people in Washington, and the people in Washington, D.C., and the people in California, and the people, God forbid, in Clovis, God knit them together. And I know my God. And I know their Creator. And when He made them different than me, He did it for a reason. And He said, I love them. All the things that's going on in the news right now, we can get caught up in it. And some of us can say, well, I know exactly what's going on. For some of us, to me, it seems like a completely different culture. I can't even imagine hating someone because they look different or they vote different. But we know the Creator, don't we? And He didn't hate. He didn't hate one creation 
that he made. And as a follower of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, may we be a people who know our Creator and know that He loves all His people. I've said it a million times, but the lady checking you out at Walmart is loved by God and was created by God. And the guy who picks up your trash on Mondays and Thursdays is created and loved by God. The person who brings you your food, the person who lives in the White House, the person who lives in the Blue House next door to your house, they're created and loved by God. In the midst of all that's going on and the excitement and anxiety that's going on in this country, may we remember that every single person living in this country and living in this world is created and loved by God. And if He chooses to love them, and He chose to create them, may we do the same. Okay, now on to the sermon. (laughs) We're in First Chronicles, obviously we won't spend a whole lot of time in there, but I just want to make sure we understand that, that and, and I visited with the elders about it this morning, and, and Scotty said something so important, he says, we can't pretend that our Christianity doesn't play out in our lives. And so I hope you understand that as you're working with people, for our, our teachers and our coaches, as you're working with kids, some of them are not going to be very easy to love, <laughs> But my prayer is that you will see them as a creation. We're going to zoom through First uh, Chronicles chapter 21. I spent a little more time on my opening than I intended to, so we're going to pick up a little bit of speed. But if you have your Bibles turned to First Chronicles chapter 21, you're thinking, is First Chronicles really that important? It's a rewrite of history. It had already been done, it had already been written, but the writer of Chronicles, which you'll find out in class today, because everybody's going to show up, because everybody wants to to know what's the big deal about First Chronicles. You're going to find out about it in the quads after services, so I know it's going to be full in there, and we're glad that you've chosen to come today. So, uh, with that being said, uh, First Chronicles is a rewrite. It was originally, uh, uh, had taken place several hundred years before, uh, and now, although First and Second Samuel had really covered most of the bases, the writer of First Chronicles is going to come back and he's going to retell some of those stories. And we'll talk about that in class. So that'll, that'll leave you hanging on. But listen to this. Verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So you think Satan is living and working in our world today? You better believe it. And he's going to find ways that he can attack people. And he's going to use other people to do it. And this is no exception. Here he chooses David, King David, King of Israel, man after God's own heart. Satan is going to tempt David to do something that is seemingly innocent. So David said to Joab and the commanders of his troops, Go out and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. Bad thing? 
Is this a bad thing? Count, have a census and find out how many people we have. Is this a bad thing? Y'all are very indecisive on this one. And the reason why is it's a trick question. It's not a bad thing and it is a bad thing. We're now in 1 Chronicles. This is a a good portion uh, of of the Israelites, uh, of the Bible, have been focused on the Israelites. And in fact, several times God says, go and take a census. Now this time, David's going to do it. David is going to do it, but he's going to do it with different motives. Now, I've, I've come up with three motives as to why I think David might have wanted to take a census. And the first one is this. The first one is power. He wanted to know the numbers because he could say to himself, I am powerful. I lead these people and I can go do whatever I want. And if I count my fighting men, I can wage war on anybody I want. And trying to assume that type of power and be willing to wield it on other people is sinful. And so maybe his motivation was power. The second reason he might have chosen to take a census was just an issue of pride. So that he could say, look how many people I have, look How many people serve me? And in some way, not only is he taking pride in himself, but he's now assuming that they are his possessions. That they're not people, they're just numbers. And he can walk around and say, I'm the one who has all of this, and these people, they belong to me. And that's sinful. Because people aren't possessions. And you can't own them. And maybe that's what David was trying. Or maybe it wasn't power. Maybe it wasn't pride. Maybe it was greed. One of the reasons that you would take a census is so that in determining how many people you have, you can can determine how you might tax them. Maybe this was his way of saying, I want more, and if I can figure out how many people I have, I can tax them. And then I can have more things. And God says, you don't need any more, I've given you everything. And I'm the one who satisfies. Maybe it was power, maybe it was pride, maybe it was greed. But somebody, somebody named Joab, disagreed. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does the Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? So Joab says, this is a bad idea. I mean, you're king, okay, and I hope your army increases, and they're all yours, but do you really need to do this? Are you really going to bring this, allow this guilt to fall on all of Israel? The king's word, verse 4, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel. 
And he numbered the people. There's 1.1 million, not including this group of people. And that's also not including uh, Levi and Benjamin, because Joab said, this is so sinful, I'm not going to dare go and count uh, this small group of Benjamin. They were kind of like the, the little kid. You know, we're not, we're not going to count those. And we're not going to count the Levites, because they're not for fighting anyway. I would never do that. Because Joab said, this is wrong. And surprise, surprise, we keep reading down. And in verse 7, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, says that God said this, this was wrong. And as a result, he's going to punish them. Verse 8, then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. And so Gad is going to step, step in. He's a seer. He's the one who is, uh, you know, sort of a prophet in a sense. He's the one who is the mediator. God speaks to him. He speaks to David. And Gad says, okay, okay, David, God and I, or God has told me what I'm going to convey to you. You have three options. You can have three years of famine, you can have three months of your enemy attacking you, or you can have three days of a plague coming down from God. And I love what David said. David says uh, to Gad, he says, I am in anguish for what I have done, but may I fall in the hands of a gracious God rather into the hands of men. He says, I want the three days of the plague of God. And God is going to send a plague over the course of three days that will kill literally thousands of people. An angel of the Lord comes through as we read down in verses 12 and 13. And ultimately, the angel of the Lord stops. And I love this. God relents, and David has an opportunity to go and build an altar before the Lord. We pick up in verse 22. David has found the place. It belongs to Aruna, who has his threshing floor there. He's harvesting. And David said to him, let me have the side of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. And Aruna, he says to David, take it, says, it, says to David, take it my Lord, my King, do whatever it pleases you. He says this, he says, you can have the threshing, the land is yours. In fact, not only am I going to give you the land, I'm going to give you the oxen as well. I think I remember Lance sharing this story with the youth one time. I was, I was sitting there listening. This is a, a, another great story. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because David said, is it really a sacrifice if I don't give anything? And he says, sell it to me at full price. I will not dare give God something that cost me nothing. And so there, he bought the piece of land. He built 
an altar. And God's anger subsided. I, I wish we'd had more time to talk about First Chronicles 21. There's so many great things from it. But I love how David emphasized that if it costs me nothing, it's not really worth anything at all. Ultimately, God understood what a real sacrifice was when He would say, I love you, but in order for me to make a sacrifice, it's got to cost something. And ultimately, it cost Jesus everything up to His life. And He chose that. Because he knows his father. And he knows when his father made these people that his father loved them. And because of that, he would give up his life for all of us. May we realize that we have a God of great sacrifice. And a God of great love. And so as you go out this week, let me encourage you, let me beg you to be a people of great love. And to be a, be a people of great sacrifice. So that our Father and our Creator may be glorified. Let me urge you this week, let love win. Let's do it as we stand and sing.